healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right there is a lot of Welcome back, fellow news clubbers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin. As usual, hope you guys are doing great out there, just hanging out, uh, relaxing as much as you can, maybe listening to some tunes, maybe watching some bad TV, maybe eating a lot of popcorn. Uh, that's been big around HQ for the past few days. A lot of popcorn and a lot of cats sitting on us, but uh, neither here nor there. You know, in almost 500 episodes, we have... Uh, talked about just about every kind of music, but one thing that is near and dear to my heart uh, and has been for as long as I can remember are movie soundtracks, specifically the movie soundtracks of the 80s. One of the greatest movie soundtracks, and not necessarily the greatest movie, but we'll get to that, uh, is Pretty in Pink. It has, uh, it not just does, it, does, it tells a story about a film. That maybe isn't even the film that's on screen, but it also it just it introduced people to a lot of music that they otherwise would not have heard. There's a lot of fascinating articles about this. How Molly Ringwald brought stuff to John Hughes and whatnot. But at any rate, uh, it it did the job, it, and it exposed uh, people, exposed me to bands like The Smiths, like Echo and the Bunnymen, uh, like OMD, and uh, and I'm betting if you're listening to this right now, it, it exposed you to these bands as well. So finally, 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 we get to sit down and talk about it. So we called in a special guest to talk about this. Joining me right now is Mr. Rick Ivy from, I believe, Bel Air, Maryland. Is that correct, sir? That's correct. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> uh, we're all having to communicate in different ways in this here pandemic. Um, you know, you've interacted with us a lot. I'm always one – one of the things we like to do is people who don't necessarily do this a lot uh, – that doesn't mean they don't have a lot of insight into music. And you clearly do. You're a musician and looking at the bass right behind you. And uh, that's where I think the most fascinating opinions come from. But you started to, to latch on to a lot of our more nerdy shit. You know, we, were talking about, <laughs> we were talking about AHA and we were talking about stuff. But I, I think I mentioned Pretty in Pink and you were like, oh, my God, yes. And, Rick, I'm telling you, I have wanted to do this episode specifically uh, for at least three years now. Oh, that's great. So I'm so happy to be able to do uh, this right now. This this is very two different things. We're going to talk about that. But this this movie uh, holds a place in a lot of people our age's hearts in the 80s. Um, it's considered one of John Hughes' finest, I think. It's not my favorite, but you know, a lot of people uh, love this film. The soundtrack, though, is second only to purple rain for me yeah uh, I, could, th- I could see that there was there was this time in the 80s when uh soundtracks seemed to be king and i can't divorce it from my age you know i was like a teenager then and like you go to the store you don't have you know it was in the 80s so it wasn't like this celestial jukebox we have now you have limited you know what you can pick from and these soundtracks provided glimpses into like scenes of music that you didn't know about Exactly. Or at least I didn't know about in Lynchburg, Virginia. Like you weren't hearing you weren't hearing Suzanne Vega on the radio there. You weren't hearing uh you weren't even hearing in excess. Uh never mind psychedelic furs. But uh what really hooked me for this and for soundtracks and eighties music in general, uh, was this first track of this album. This I'll tell a little story about this after we play a little bit of it, but it's just worth playing because you know it and you love it. You can't play this song and not be just excited by it. Uh, it's orchestral maneuvers in the dark. I uh, if you leave and uh, here's what it sounds like. Go on 
Yeah, so great track. And my introduction to Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark was uh, from an album right around the same time. Uh, let's see, it had Secret, um, So in Love, and a bit more experimental than that title track. But I understand that um, that song was sort of fast-tracked, sort of rushed. So the original movie, if it, uh, this film uh, is about classism and uh, class struggles and relationships with people and should a, a richie like a poor or whatnot and um and so originally in this film you had molly ringwald going home with the ducky character and it just in, it, it was more i guess a a, a feel-good type like oh these people are uh more pure of spirit more moral or what whatnot but uh john hughes saw that as classist and and the ending actually didn't play well because they wanted her to go home with the Andrew McCarthy character, and you know it being the heir of Reagan, you can make whatever of that that you want, <laughs> but 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 uh, you know they had a song uh, a track picked for this album already for the Andy and Ducky ending, and then they called them up and they said, look, we're reshooting the ending, we have to change it two days before, like That's this, all this locks and. OMD writes and records the thing in less than 24 hours. One of the most endearing hits of all time. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a breath of fresh air, that song. I mean, I have to say it's not my favorite OMD song, but there is a quality to it that just captures the film. And for me, it's like that time period of just feeling very positive about about some uh, situations that not weren't necessarily positive. And for me the film is is uh bridging these two two sorts of things like you said the poor and the rich coming together and i feel like maybe you feel this way too but in um my high school and maybe it's still this way there was very clear delineations between not only classes but also subgroups you had the sports groups you had the the um, and especially in my high school, which, which was um, a Catholic high school in Baltimore, we had um, cliques basically, and it's not like the Sharks and the Jets, like we weren't you know fighting <laughs> in the parking lot, but but there was a sense of like there were the people who were into Rush and metal, and then there were the people the who long were long hairs, yeah, and then there were people <laughs> who were more into all. Well, it wasn't even alternative; it was uh, popular. Radio was just becoming new wave, or actually just new wave was cresting, and so you had these different um, sub subgroups that were kind of coming together. And I feel like the film kind of, and a lot of John Hughes films do this, but they kind of bring these different groups together and raise some interesting questions, um, <laughs> like what's up with Ducky's hair? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is it is it a pompadour? Is it goth? Is it like what's going on? <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that hit. I felt like John Cryer, I didn't really – I see, I only saw the film in its entirety recently. I saw part of it um, on TV a few years after – you know, like back in the day before streaming and everything, you would – movies would show up on TV a few years after they were in theaters. And I remember thinking they're trying to make him look like – is it Roland Orsible from Tears for Fears? There was something about him that reminded me of that of that guy. So I thought he was the main character. I it was only later I was like, oh, he's not he's not, he's not the love interest, you know, he's not the heartthrob of this of this triangle, this bizarre love triangle, as it were. I I thought like, why doesn't anybody like dress like that at our school? <laughs> like, what weird what weird shit is going on up in Chicago? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, and, and the thing about it was like it, for John Hughes films, it was always this hyper real, hyper fashion thing that never you'd see some people in the school, and this was again was another click uh, was people would try to emulate the way people dressed. Uh, the Andrew McCarthy thing, he was sort of in the like I, I, I can't remember Miami Vice was really going yeah, on at that time. Right, but you saw little people, you know, he's got he's got the blazer this, in high school, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> like, that's, because that's what you do if you have money. Exactly, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what. Yeah, what? I think <laughs> it's a very interesting thing because, um, you know, his character in the film kind of comes around towards the end and calls out his friend, uh, who's I forget his character's name, but it's James Spader for being, you know, basically controlling people with with money. And not only that, but 
using them and not even considering them as real people. Whereas you kind of get the impression that Andrew McCarthy's character not only sees them as real people, but doesn't see any distinction between Molly Ringwald and him. Even when she's saying to him, like, oh, I, you can't drive me home because she doesn't want him to know where he lives. She, he's, you know, he doesn't understand that. He doesn't even care, it seems. Ducky's more aware of that, those distinctions, I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think, and I think what's fascinating about um, the music on this soundtrack is it is all from uh, Ducky and Andy's perspective. Uh, you know, and, and, like Blaine does not know any of this music. Yes, there, there, a, there, there has to be someone on the cutting room floor that uh, a song like uh, "Do What You Do" by In Excess is cut. You know, where Blaine is like, "What is this magical thing that I'm hearing right, right. now?" Right. He doesn't. He doesn't know any of this. I wouldn't even know what he's listening to. Like maybe Madonna. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, rat. <laughs> I don't know. Rat was hugely popular back then. And I, rat is I still hugely popular in my heart, man. Are they really? Okay. I have oh, a yeah. question. I, there's one song that I, that killed it for me with rat, which was the one with out on the streets. That's where we'll meet, you know, that. And so I have some friends who once they knew that was my least favorite song at, and at, at a work party, they asked me to, I got called up to sing karaoke in front of our entire work party and then realized <laughs> that was the song that i uh, was like oh god no anyway yeah i i think um what we were talking about with with the soundtrack i think you really hit on something with the the type of music that was featured on the soundtrack because i had i had some friends who were just starting to get into um what would later be termed alternative, I guess. Um, College rock, maybe. Yeah, right. Where like factory records, um, you know, New Order and Joy Division and um, the Smiths. And I remember a guy in, in my high school, I he had a Meet His Murder, uh, um, you know, he used to, back in high school, he used to wear pins, you know, like on his, on his uh, jacket or whatever. And I was like, wow, are you a vegetarian? And he was like, no, <laughs> I'm just really into the Smiths. And I was like, oh. So he made me a tape of the Smiths and Echo and the Bunnymen. And that sort of just opened up this door. And I started meeting other people. And we, we all had this common interest. And there was this slight pang. We were talking about like the James Spader character, not knowing what he would listen to. There was this slight character that we, this feeling that we kind of knew something about alternative music that, that maybe the rich kids didn't know about. I don't know. Maybe it's my perception. But um, so there was this also feeling of like, oh, God, now everyone knows. <laughs> I, I think it I think it comes down to like how we identify with music and like people mm -hmm. do it like through the through their old age. And it is that. And and you put up that wall. And, and this is what we talk about a lot about how we internalize music where people are like, I only like country or I only like pop. This is this is the the macro or micro version of that in high school, you know, that gets blown out to the macro society and and you know it, it it's persistent, but back then it actually I think meant something. Yes, um, you know you're talking about Echo and the Bunnymen and the Smiths. I want to play because this is one of my favorite songs. It happens to be on this album. I I'm gonna I say this with shame, uh, but it's not my fault because it was printed wrong on my CD. For at least four years, I thought this song was by the Smiths. Um, this is Bring On The Dancing Horses, uh. and it's not by the Smiths. <laughs> Jimmy Bob, made of stone. Charlie Clark, no way home. Bring on the dancing horses. Headless and all alone, shiver and say the words every lie you've heard. First I'm gonna make it, and then I'm gonna break it till it falls apart. Hitting all the breaking and shaking. 
I fell in love with Echo and the Bunnymen then, but I didn't yeah. know it. I thought I thought I was listening to the Smiths, but I also didn't. You couldn't get the Smiths where I was at, so I wasn't. I was just like maybe it's on MTV or radio, and I just kept listening to this one song until finally, I pick up uh, a Smiths album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like this is nothing to do with what they were talking about, and then had to go and get the uh, the Echo and the Bunnymen self titled and and Back to the Ocean Rain and stuff, but. It was it was a wild introduction into I think a band two bands in fact that defined a lot of the music we're talking about of the eighties, and it started here because it wasn't in the mainstream at this point. Absolutely, it, it was definitely not. And um, what I was picking up on from friends was, you know, we had to to go through the the um, record stores, and we would find. You know, they had this small little new wave section or pro- it wasn't even called progressive because uh, progressive meant something different. It was the 70s progressive in the 80s. That, that's what it was. Genesis. And yes, but later we called it progressive. Um, but yeah, when you when you when this when I first heard the Smiths, I was kind of completely blown away. And then also Echo and the Bunny Man. I mean, I had both. I had them on a on a, the same tape. Uh, Ocean Rain on one side, and um, it was a live uh, EP of the Smiths. And you were in it else. to win it, man. You you were feeling some feelings. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is just great, great records, great albums. And well, you know, when we're talking about um, sort of getting back to the classes theme and thinking about um, these different uh, subcultures within a high school, I also felt that within the soundtrack itself and now if you go on spotify and you download or look at this playlist of the complete soundtrack you'll notice that there's a lot of stuff on this in this film that's not featured on the original soundtrack that you and i heard um otis redding um (laughs) the uh yeah the whole uh ducky scene which is actually pretty cool uh he does his his best um soulful impression it kind of reminds me of you know uh, high fidelity there that scene yeah. in the record store but you also have like um love uh by john lennon he, he ducky's singing that at one point and there's a scene where he's listening to music in the car with with molly ringwell and he keeps pushing the tape forward because he can't find something he likes but what i what i love about what the, what they do with this the different types of music is it kind of reflects the different the disparities between those who only listen to one type and the Ducky and Molly Ringwalds who are really interested in lots of different styles of music. And for me, that's, that's where I went with all of this is like, it opened a door hearing all these different songs just made me feel like, wow, this is, there's a lot out there. Yeah. And to that end, we, we, I said that I don't think Blaine heard any of this music, but um, there's this hilarious song on here. That is so, it, man. If if you're of the right age, it is so 80s. But <laughs> I but, think I know what you're this, talking about. This song wouldn't it be good? Yes. By Danny Hutton. Here's. Danny Hutton was a previous vocalist of Three Dog Night and honestly has no business being up in here. And it it, it, it is the one point on this soundtrack uh, where, uh, you, for me, I saw like more the corporate side of stuff working into this. Yes. Because at, at, at the end of the day, um, a soundtrack, it can supplement what's going on. It can be a, it can be a completely parallel narrative. 
it, it, it can be a lot of things. Music accentuates everything. But I think in like 1984, like when Purple Rain came out, people were like, what the shit is going on here? Yes, because, I was one of those people. <laughs> yeah, because before that, all the soundtracks you heard were, were now they're oldies, but they were of the time. You think about like Easy Rider, uh, American Graffiti and stuff. This is all like period piece music that went along with it. And it's supposed to have, like evoke that. I remember a really great soundtrack uh, that I grew up more out, multiple CDs, if you believe that, the uh, Good Morning Vietnam soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Because it was you could just listen to like Motown over and over and over, even if you didn't have access to like this huge Motown collection. But Purple Rain was a start to a different kind of thing, and Pretty in Pink was, for my money, I think the next iteration of that. People hadn't figured out what to do with that because you're not like Prince is not going to score everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> may, or maybe he did. I, I right. don't know. But you, you think about the big stuff back then that, that sort of sprang from that, and this goes into the 90s. You have stuff like the Top Gun soundtrack, Tried It. It's maybe half good, but it has a take my breath away. And the and the ever-present Danger Zone. You can't escape the Danger Zone on that. Uh, the Say Anything soundtrack, that literally made Peter Gabriel's career. That's why he's a pop star now. Uh, you know, Repo Man was like punk, like West Coast uh Black Flag and stuff, and you know, you mentioned like uh, Reality Bites, right? Singles like The Crow, like all these, all these attempts at like building this stuff that wasn't wasn't period pieces, but it sounds like the period that it's in. I was just gonna say, well, what, what's interesting, uh, if you're suggesting, which I think you are, like it starts here, and for me, I totally agree. I think we've got soundtracks being used in a different way at this point from here on out, or it seems to me like, um, I mean, you can go back to the sixties with like help and hard days night, but it almost seemed like they were a collection of singles that they inputted into the music. But with purple rain, I used to listen to that from start to finish. And it was again, way before I saw the movie when I first heard it and I could picture what was happening in the movie. And the same thing at least in my mind, was going on with the Pretty in Pink soundtrack, where, as before, it was like the album was a was a um, a supplement to you know because you heard this song in the film, and there's some film score as well. Even to today, where you've got Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the throwback to you know, and the gold standard now, right? Um, it's funny because my kids love um right. guardians of the galaxy and so they're jamming brandy and <laughs> all these and um i don't know i think i think you make a really valid point that like with purple rain and with pretty and pink soundtrack started to shift into a different direction and and started to to become more than just a collection of supplemental material to the film yeah I, you know one of the highest points of this post pretty in pink for me is like lost boys soundtrack yeah also featuring echoing the bunnyman right people and people are strange on that um and and at that point i think uh i mean have echo and the bunnyman been relegated to just soundtrack shit like because he had that and then donnie darko you know is on that which was supposed to be never tear us apart by nxs so like huh. maybe they're chasing each other um you know people we're striving to use this in a in a different way. I think what's fascinating about this one in particular, uh, and we'll put this link in the show notes. You did a whole like essay, an audio essay about this perceived plot of Pretty <laughs> and Pink that that you got from the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, and it's fantastic. Oh, and, thank and, you. I mean, everybody, everybody needs to hear it. But it's just like it, it was, uh, you know, that's how you sort of internalize stuff. Maybe like Saint Elmo's Fire, for example. That's another good one that has stuff like that. So the I was too pack. young to see. Yeah, I was too young <laughs> to see Saint Elmo's Fire, but I had the soundtrack. Yeah. So for years, I was like, I know what this movie is about. Right. I, I definitely didn't, and I didn't know that it was as bad as it is. But you know, that's neither here nor there. But uh, you know, these these things popped up all over the place, and it was a window uh, into and, and I think a, a parallel revenue stream that was actually powerful back then. That is not so much uh, before. Before Guardians of the Galaxy, I can't name anything like Pulp Fiction and, and – um, That was a huge one. Yeah, Pulp Fiction was a huge one and uh, Reservoir Dogs 
that was actually not that big. It was, it was more of the Pulp Fiction one. But, you know, there haven't been that many big moments. There's just been, like, big singles and stuff, which get more and more ridiculous the further out you get from I don't want to uh, miss a moment or whatever, the Aerosmith song. Right, right. I don't want to close my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> For me, um, I – I remember distinctly the first moment that I heard Pretty in Pink, um, and it was in my friend's car. A friend of mine uh, uh, named Jerry, he was, and a few other uh, high school friends decided to go to um, uh, D.C. for the day. But I, I remember, like, because he was introducing me to a lot of cool music, and so were some, some of my other friends. But I remember hearing that soundtrack and feeling like, wow, the other people are are going to to suddenly see into this little window that we were just, we felt like we were only seeing there was a slight feel feeling of like as i mentioned earlier like oh no but then there was also this feeling like wow that this is diversification and this is this is really going to not only give these bands a needed jump but um it's also going to um maybe open people's minds because it certainly opened my mind i mean Music is so powerful for me, and it always has. It's such a healing thing. I, I feel like I've learned so much from even the songs on this this record, especially "Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want This Time," which is we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, yeah. right? I mean, it was just <laughs> like I don't know. It's just all I could say is like a breath of fresh air. Like, wow, people, other people feel this way. You know, other people have these uh, you know because high school's hard you know it's i've got a kid in high school two kids in high school and there's so much about it that seems to just leave you the minute you graduate you know you just sort of forget exactly how challenging these and you know mortifying some of these moments are <laughs> when you're not accepted or you're not in the in crowd the rich kid or or I have a theory about that, though. Uh, okay. I have a theory about that, but but I want to, you know, you mentioned like you were talking about just the soundtrack, but I, I want to talk about the title track here, "Pretty in Pink." It's by the Psychedelic First. They actually recorded a less aggressive version of it, um, and depending on, it, it literally is depending on like how your search goes on the streaming services, which one you're gonna get. It's it's just like a wild like roulette. You don't know. Uh, both are both are amazing, but. Without context, I want you to listen to this and then literally try to place the year. Because I don't think you can. So here's a little bit of pretty. That was out yesterday. <laughs> if I get that in my inbox, I'm going to be like, yes, that's a fucking great song. Who did that? Right. Is, is it some indie electric thing from Brooklyn? Is it, you know, what what's going on here? And and it it kind of like glues the whole thing together. Obviously, that's what the, the song was uh, 
inspired the album, even though uh, I don't know that it has that much to do with the album. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's interesting because I read, I came across a really good article. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't write down the author's name, uh, but he was talking about Richard Butler um, having a different uh, take, and obviously the the song had a different intention than where um john hughes took it and uh molly ringwald i the rumor i heard was for all these songs like my high school friends were like what what is going on how john hughes is you know i liked the simple mind song and breakfast club and the the bowie quote in the beginning some of the dance tracks were a little I wasn't as crazy about and the but but it it was kind of hip but then with pretty and pink i was like wow this is like how did he get a hip to all this stuff and i the rumor was that molly ringwald pushed off all this good music to him and he was like oh I, i've got to weave this into a into the album well richard butler came back and was like oh they got it all wrong and uh you know this song is about a, a woman that you know everyone's making fun of because they think you know she's easy basically it was a very different take on on that but but the best thing about this article is he defined richard butler's voice for me and i can't not hear it this way it's his i i hope i i'll have to send you the the article I and mean, you can put it in the show notes but the um it's combined johnny rotten and um David Bowie. <laughs> if you combine that <laughs> vocal, and when I hear it, I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to try that. God, I can totally hear both of those points coming together in Richard Butler's voice. Well, and it's funny because so that it, it's a weird roundabout. Like John Hughes was from Chicago. All his all his films took place in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, and that was uh, way more hip than like suburbs in the South, even like you know outside Baltimore, even. But you know. Uh, still, he was not, like you said, he was not necessarily, how did he get hip to the, all this stuff? And Molly Ringwald was the one who brought this into him. But to have this, like, phrase, pretty in pink, be mean one thing, then swerve out to Richard Butler's version of it and, like, subverting it in, in a very punk manner. And then <laughs> John Hughes to kind of reclaim it. Yeah. Even, even the, it, it's, it, it is, it, it, for me, it demonstrates not just the mutability of music, but how this stuff uh, plugs into film and how it plugs into like cinema and storytelling, uh, and and this idea that y y you know songwriters say once they do something, it's not theirs anymore, and it means something to everybody. Mm -hmm. There is a truth to that, but rarely, uh, except on these soundtracks, do you see really people fucking with the DNA of this shit. <laughs> And right. just being like, you know, you know, Pretty in Pink can't be anything to me now except for part of this film. Right. Yeah, you can't you cannot say that song title and not have uh, an echo of the film in your mind. Um, which I guess if you're were if you were a fan of Talk, 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 the Psychedelic Firms album that had it on it originally, you might have been like, oh, no, but. There's, I, I agree with you. He re does totally re does reclaim it and create something fresh out of it. And um, well, he had his he had his finger on the pulse of like what people wanted. I mean, these right. films weren't these films were not uh, unsuccessful. There, there has over time they've been maligned for being slightly uh, sexist. Yeah, <laughs> we just say uh, sixteen candles, right? <laughs> 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 but, but uh, but you know, his intention with these, I think, was actually good, especially in this one, and not you know, you talked about like leaving the pain of high school behind. I, I'm a me and Eduardo both are, are huge fans of rom coms to this day. And, <laughs> me and, too, and, right? And, <laughs> I don't know part, why, but I love them. And, well, I, I'm going to tell you why, because like the thing about it is, is like you don't leave it behind; you bury it. And it's important to your develop development, and it's important to be in touch with like you were uh, when you're in high school. You're raw, 
and you're emotional and stuff. And especially like dudes, we're not going to like necessarily be like giving to all that. Right. And, and it gives you a chance to sit there and just cry because at the end of the fucking rom-com, they got together against all odds. Exactly. <laughs> I think what what's nice about that and what you're alluding to is a certain um, belief in positivity, which is really important right now, obviously. But um, that's why I go back to these films. And even though uh, the sexism, for example, in Breakfast Club, there's some there's some really challenging scenes to watch, even though I love the movie. Um, but what I see about this and Breakfast Club, Pretty Pink and Breakfast Club is a, a resonance with truth. There's something about it that you recognize these characters as elements of people you've met and there's something that really stands to um there's something an, an ability to do that no means that you have a deep understanding of human nature and i feel like john hughes was sort of bringing that to the forefront when i was in high school i was like wow i know people like this i can't believe they're on the big screen and there's a movie that takes place in one room for two hours or in this, that there's there are the, these conflicts between the rich kids and the poor kids that I see play out day, daily. And, you know, that somebody else is really showing this, but there's that sense of optimism about it. And that's why I keep saying the, the breath of fresh air. Cause when I listen to the soundtrack, I feel that optimism and I feel like, there's that connectivity to your friends and your friendships and your relationships that I want to believe um, continually improve. And, you know, we're all here learning something to make us better people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, art and music doesn't exist to like give you an absolute statement. It exists right. to like make you feel something. Right. I, I, I think, you know, in, in, Although some does, I mean, there's we've reached a point in history where pop music does actually, it's dialed in algorithm, yeah. and then like it, it's meant to evoke like X Y Z, and right. and that and that's sort of why uh, we're in the mess we're in right now. Another yeah. hour there, but, right? Um, <laughs> but well but said. you know, but letting letting um, these songs back back then where they uh, they meant something, and and letting you have room to uh, experience that positivity um which uh, you know gets us to uh either the saddest track in, <laughs> in in music soundtrack history or uh the best or both or the smiths uh please 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 let me get what i want is a uh a master class in being like 16 i think Mm -hmm. And I think the remarkable power of it is it doesn't matter if you're male, female, it doesn't matter how you identify, it doesn't, none of that matters. It's simply, it simply gets like every good pop song cuts to the quick and, and tells you like, what you're supposed to feel. a good man turn back. So please, please, please let me. Let me, let me, let me get what I want this time. Haven't had a dream in a long time. See, the life I've had can make a good man back. So for once in my life, let me get what I want. Lord knows it would be the first time. Lord knows it would be the first time. That's the, the song. The song that and the Echo and the Bunnymen song, uh, uh, "Bring on the Dancing Horses," which to me that song was just like I, I had never heard anything like that at that time. But the Smith song, there was an 
and a lot of Smith stuff had uh, acoustic instruments, which at that time was kind of rare for for an alternative uh, group or a new wave or whatever. Early eighties, early eighties, we discovered synths, right? And everything, and, 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 people, and, and everything was synth, right? And, then, and everything and as, as there. You got it, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, to hear this come out from a band that like had one of the greatest guitarists of all time, yes, rock guitarist Johnny Marr, you know, to come out and have it be this was like. Whoa. And I, for me, um, there is an optimism even in this song, and and the optimism is that you don't know whether he's going to actually get what he wants, but just the fact that he's reaching is what I needed to help me through and and what I feel like makes this one of my all-time favorite songs. Um, yeah, I mean, think about the lyrics, you know, like good times for a change. And I, from the same person who wrote Model and Street and, you know, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now and all of these sorts of things that you would think, God, why would anybody listen to this? But there's, there is a, a, a definite... Um, pull towards positivity even in in the darker moments and i feel like that's what this movie and what the soundtrack does for me it, yeah why i keep coming yeah, back to it that that pull is is vitally important to people when uh, you know you listen to sad music uh it, it, sometimes you tend to be depressed when you listen to that uh and if you are uh feel alone or vulnerable or emotional which is high school and maybe now uh maybe everybody's back in high school you know now everybody nobody knows uh, that somebody is hanging on can be such a such a powerful message to be like you said it's 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 not all is lost it's not everything it's saying i have enough left in me to like beg the universe for this yes yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, I mean, what more can you say? <laughs> that, that, that That is just a beautiful sentiment. And I, you know, we're all sort of holed up in, in these little places, you know, right now we're, we're, we're looking at each other in boxes, living in boxes and thinking about, you know, how to reach one another in different ways and connect. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm connecting with friends, um, family spontaneously for the stupidest, meaningless thing, but to add up to simply saying, Hey, I really love you. And I really care about you. And I thought of you for this one tiny little thing <laughs> that might mean nothing, but it's important to me. And I, it's just, I think that's why it's so resonant is because that's that is the most important thing. You you know the other thing that actually it's a perfect bookend for if you leave. You know this person is like the song describes this journey of friends. Mm -hmm. Seven years went under the bridge like time standing still, you know, and what that means and and maybe they didn't think about it until right at this moment. If you're gonna leave now, it's like holy shit, but they are. And then the other songs on the album sort of start to reinforce that and then give it a little journey, but it lands on essentially the same sentiment. There's something about uh, that innocence that you have in high school that I guess capitalism kind of makes you dismiss right after high school. You're like, well, no, now I've got to get a job. I've got to be serious. I've got to accomplish things. And then the great pause happens and you're back in high school thinking – how much time has gone under the bridge since I last told, you know, a friend, Hey, remember you, you, uh, drove me to DC and we listened to uh pretty in pink. And that was sort of life changing for me. You probably don't even know it <laughs> or, and, you know, sharing these moments with your kids and whatnot, uh, your friends, it's, it's important. I, th I think, you know, we used to do this in a basement and one of the, there's, there's, two reasons there's actually a couple of reasons but the first reason was because of my anxiety my panic disorder so i can control stuff and i have to have people like 
come over. And so doing interviews, we did a lot of interviews, over 500 episodes, and doing those interviews has often been difficult, and it's gotten a lot easier. Weirdly, it's easier now. I've been talking to people all week, and it's just like, oh, this is great. But the other reason was because where we were in D.C. was uh, I am not and never have been in the government. I have never been in uh, this important position doing stuff. I'm just doing this, doing music journalism and stuff. And, Which is very I, important. I I want to just I, say <laughs> I agree. I agree, but um, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily change the world in actionable ways like a lot of the people I know. And but I could have those people that are doing that, which is the bulk of our crew. You know, at one point we had about thirty people uh, that that we were, and that's people out shooting shows at night. That's people coming down and talking on mics and stuff. But could have them over, uh, even if it was just. If we couldn't make food, it was just like providing them with alcohol, and maybe it was a bad week, and we just get drunk as shit in the basement and like talk about Bon, bon Iver. Uh, uh, but, yeah, God. But but you know it was it was providing that space, and we haven't had that space forever, and it it did fuck with me a little bit because I got away from understanding what that was, and and this has brought even me who's in touch with this shit back to. Understanding that that's important. Yeah, like, it's important to take like small things and just be like, uh, even get you somebody I don't know, like on on a podcast and 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 or you know email Eduardo like, hey man, Israel Nash released a song today. You should listen to this one thing, and then let's talk about it for like a minute. Yes, I know you're busy, and 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 those things are what our lives are made of. And John Hughes knew that, and he knew that enough. That he could craft a soundtrack to make yeah. it a whole total experience. Yeah. But anyways, uh, you know, I got a little off topic there, but Pretty in Pink. Um, I think I'm going to have to make a playlist because I don't think you can just get it in Spotify. So we'll put it in the show notes. I don't think the soundtrack like works like that. But you should go and, and find it and uh, revisit the movie and then uh, reach out and let us know. Like what you if you have a favorite soundtrack, let us know. And uh, more importantly, honestly, Rick, do what you do. Just like keep emailing and be like, "Hey, can I come on and talk about shit?" And then like, yes, that's that's what that's what we'll do. Um, so, so and hopefully, hopefully, uh, you and I will be talking about Aha's second album. Uh, yes, <laughs> we can talk I can't about scoundrel days. Even... Right, right. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, man. We're gonna take a quick break. Come back and finish this out. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out, Rick. And we will talk to you in a minute. Thank you. Pretty in Pink soundtrack for you right there. Uh, that is such a great uh, soundtrack. It's a uh, pretty pretty great film, and had a really really great time talking to Mr. Rick Ivy about that. Hopefully, you'll be hearing him back on here sooner rather than later. I think we have a lot of uh, I think we have a lot of music nerd shit to uh, to cover <laughs> him and I. So uh, so that was just uh, it was a real fun episode to do. One I've been trying to do for a long time. You know, movie soundtracks are. Uh, a big part of my upbringing, and uh, I think a lot of you guys, how when at a younger age we got into music um, because they had all the hits. But you know that. We just talked about it for a long time. Uh, I'll put a playlist in the show notes that is made up of all the songs that are on that, and maybe I'll, we'll make it collaborative and Rick can add some stuff that wasn't on the officially released soundtrack, but you'll get the uh, pretty immediately the the fix if you need it. That is it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us in your podcast provider of choice. Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Uh, you can also find us out on the socials at Chunky Glasses. That's across everything. And then if you want to take a look at the archives here, you can go to ChunkyGlasses.com slash Discologist. And that will bring you up to the sort of the um, – 
the the top page of our entire archives of Discologists. And uh, and you can see like everything we've done for the past I don't know like eight nine years almost 500 episodes. There's a lot of great stuff in there and a lot of great stuff to come, including our talk with uh, Mr. Michael Heslin from Male Horse. That's going to be coming up soon. We're going to be talking uh, about the band Rookie eventually. I promise we're going to get to that. That album just is amazing. But uh, Eduardo has been a little bit busy, so we're going to be doing that and uh, so much more. So I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you're staying sane. I hope you are staying sanitized out there. We'll be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. Talk to you soon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!